there. Welcome to Chatting with Asians. On this episode, I have a heart-to-heart with Vivian Chan, co-founder of a fashion company called East Meets Dress. Along with her best friend and co-founder, they design modern Chinese wedding dresses, or chengsams, for Asian Americans. We talk about her experiences growing up with a single mother, how coming out to her friends was a totally different experience than with her family, and why she decided not to pursue med school after going to Yale for pre-med. So here's my chat with Vivian. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. You and I met at a meetup with Lucia from Rock the Boat podcast, and we had such a wonderful conversation afterwards. And I feel like we have so much more to talk about because you've definitely had an unconventional life, both personally and professionally. So I would love to start off by talking about your family first, because you grew up in a household mainly made up of strong women. In your perspective, where do you see their strengths come from? Do you think it's from juggling a lot of jobs or supporting the family or being leaders in non-traditional spaces? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of the strength from them comes from a combination of both necessity and having this immigrant mentality where you need to do whatever it takes to survive and provide for your family. You know, I think throughout history, women have had to be very multifaceted and balance work, life, kids, et cetera. And, and then they display the most strength when it comes to sacrificing for their own family and children. For my mom, she's the strongest and most resilient woman I know. And I think her strength really came from having to raise me by herself as a single mom. And she worked two jobs, 16 hours a day, just so she could give me a better life. And she didn't really have a choice, you know, when it came to following her passion for her career job. But Rather for her, it was just taking advantage of whatever opportunity was out there that she saw. And she always had this mindset that, yeah, you know, your life might not always be fair. It might suck at sometimes, but it's still within your control to make something out of it and do better for yourself as long as you're willing to work hard and not give up. And so I think both that mentality and her strength from having to just raise me, there's no other choice. <laughs> really, that that's where it comes from. You know, I'm really, really, really grateful that I do have my mom and a lot of all these other strong women in my family. Yeah. And I think the idea that there really isn't a choice, you just have to do what you need to do to provide for the family. That's a mentality I feel like a lot of Asian American kids, like especially of our generation, can probably really relate to, especially if our parents were immigrants. Yeah. Yeah. Coming to America for the first time. Like, I feel like for my parents, that was also the same thing where, you know, my parents technically didn't really live together. It wasn't because, you know, they were having fights or, you know, they were Mm -hmm. separated, you know, by any legal stretch. It was just more so because my dad had to work somewhere else than my mom had to, Mm. you know, in order to provide for the family. And so, yeah, that's definitely a a topic that most Asian American kids, I think, can definitely relate to. Yeah, definitely. You just Mm -hmm. kind of do it out of necessity too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess because you've had such strong female figures within your family, how do you think that's shaped you personally as an Asian American woman yourself? You know, on one hand, I think in Asian culture, there's this tendency to really focus on the community rather than the individual. And there's Mm -hmm. like a larger sense of 
duty, risk aversion. And whereas growing up in American culture, I think there's more of an emphasis on individuality, being unique and following your passions. And for me, I'm sure, you know, you can relate to this as well yourself. You know, I've always straddled between these two worlds of being Asian and American. Mm -hmm. I've always had a natural curiosity to try new things and experiences and, you know, lead an unconventional and non-traditional life, especially now that I've started my own company. But I'm still very much shaped by the Asian values that I grew up with, particularly with seeing my mom's work ethic, you know, her sense of delayed gratification and just her ability to sacrifice her own wants and needs just for the greater good and for her child. And those things have always shaped me in everything that I do. And even now, I think they're definitely mindsets that I turn to daily as I'm charting my own path to success. So even though I have a very different life and path than my mom did, I'm still very much grateful and have been inspired by how she's lived her life and worked hard throughout her life. And so I very much like use those skill sets and that mentality in what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful thing to kind of like recognize, especially for Asian American kids growing up, right? It's really having that one foot in the Asian culture door and the other foot in the American (laughs) culture door, so to speak. Yeah. But I think what's really amazing, and each person has their own different experience about this, but we each take away like the good and bad parts of each culture and mix it and, and adapt to it in a way that you know, hopefully fits us in our own lifestyle or in our own daily lives, whatever that may look like. Yeah. And I love that about, you know, being Asian American is really, like you said, you can take the best of both worlds and make it your own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of how a lot of us live our lives now. It's influenced by both our parents' values, but then also, you know, on the other hand, we're exploring in uncharted territory and doing things our parents never would have thought of. (laughs) In many cases, you know, might not even approve of. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we've all been there many times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so cool. So one of the next questions I had really revolves around the reason why I wanted to bring more diverse Asian American voices into the podcast, Mm -hmm. including LGBTQ voices. So when you were growing up, you started noticing girls and feeling Mm -hmm. differently towards them. For you, was there ever in like a lightning aha moment where you began to identify yourself as lesbian? Or did you feel like it was a slower journey to discovering that part of you? Yeah, I think for me and, you know, everyone's journey is very different, but I always knew at an early age that I was attracted to girls. I I knew it was more than just an objective like, oh, I think she's pretty kind of thing, but really mm-hmm. a deeper type of attraction and romantic feeling that I just never had with guys. I remember in 3rd grade that was kind of the aha moment for me. There was this 6th grader who she was like the president of our student council at the school and for some reason I just had a huge crush on her. She was super smart and pretty and obviously Obviously, she was a sixth grader, which was a big deal at that time. <laughs> you know, but I also knew that at that young age, this was something that wasn't normal or acceptable to really tell anyone about. So I knew as a girl, you were supposed to like and talk about boys, not mm-hmm. about other girls. And so this was just something that 
about me that I just hid and kept a secret for a really long time. So while I always knew, I never openly identified as being lesbian. I think back then, there was such a huge stigma around being gay and being lesbian that I also never wanted to draw this attention to this part of me and have anyone judge or think less of me and my abilities if I identified myself. It's really sad to say, but I think the environment back then was also just less friendly than it is today. And I definitely got bullied in school for, you know, even being a tomboy. And there weren't many role models that I can even think of back then or knew about who were openly gay. And so it was just something that, you know, I discovered early on, but hid for most of my entire life. Yeah, no, I mean, that I can't even imagine just how tough that must have been to to kind of reconcile with yourself. Yeah. And, you know, in part, and totally understandably in part to kind of like protect yourself or protect family or, you know, the feeling of just not, not opening that chapter of your life just yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it is really amazing. And I, I think when we had our initial conversation, it was really just one of your most forefront, like admirable qualities about you is that <laughs> like, you're so willing to share about your story of of coming out when you were ready to. Yeah, thank you for that. I think it's definitely something that I struggled with for most of my entire life. But, you know, once I did come out to friends and family, it felt like a weight was lifted off your shoulders and you just feel much more comfortable speaking about it now. And, you know, I think my willingness to share also is a in part of that. Like I just feel so much more comfortable, not afraid, not ashamed anymore than, you know, I was five, 10 years ago or even growing up. Yeah. And it's, I think it's so important to be able to share these kinds of stories, you know, if, if it's within your own comfortable, I don't know, kind of like comfort level. Mm-hmm. I think just because we definitely need to have more role models and more examples of people who are dealing with this, you know, if there are any younger people who are listening to this episode and hopefully, you know, they find that your story was very courageous and they want to emulate that. I think it would be such a great thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess talking about like inspirations and all these things, like when you think back to when you first came out to your friends, what yeah. what really inspired you to do so? Like, what was that? Was there like a moment mm-hmm. where you just thought like enough is enough? Like, I just need to. <laughs> <laughs> so I came out to my friends my senior year of college, and I think there were a couple of things that inspired me to do so. One, so this was early. 2013. And I think the climate then was just so different than back when I was in middle or high school. And we were right on the cusp of same-sex marriage being legalized. And so many people had so fought so hard for that. There was, I think, the shift in climate and people starting to recognize LGBTQ stories and people and and their lives, you know, are just as important. And I was at a liberal college campus where I also felt safe and comfortable to do so. And two, I had a really close group of friends that I just trusted and felt really comfortable around. And I knew they would accept me for who I am if I chose to tell them. And I think part of any good friendship is that you want that friendship to evolve over time. And 
I didn't want to hinder that growth with my closest friends, especially if I had to continue to hide this huge part of me. I just thought, you know, man, I'll never be able to share with my closest friends like a huge part of my identity. If I'm in a relationship with anyone or if I'm doing something, I just would always have to hide this if I didn't come out. And part of that also was like just tired of doing that. And, you know, lastly, I was in a serious relationship at that point with someone that it wasn't just a fling. And I wanted to be able to openly share this with my friends. And so I think a combination of all of those factors, like really helped and inspired me to just come out and it felt really good to do so. It was scary for sure mm-hmm. because I was already a senior in college. And so, you know, they're like, what, what, what? I've known you since freshman year. You know, I had no idea. And it's like, yeah, you know, I've always knew, but it wasn't the right time for me, but now it is. And so, uh, <laughs> and I'm really grateful that they were so receptive and you know, like open to letting me find the right time to tell them. I think, you know, a lot of times people's natural reaction is like, why didn't you tell me sooner? And I, <laughs> I, you could have told me so long ago, but really everyone has a different time where they feel comfortable. And so my friends are really great in understanding that I didn't feel comfortable until now really to tell them. And they were super, super receptive and, you know, loving and accepting. And so I'm really grateful for that. Mm, that's amazing. That's so amazing that you were able to have that just network and community and friends and just like, and that they were so accepting of it. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I know that coming out to your family was a different situation. So for you, like for yourself, Mm -hmm. how did your mom and the rest of your family take it when you came out? Yeah. So I came out to my mom after I came out to my friends, like, not even immediately after, probably a year or so after. And mm-hmm. coming out to my mom was the hardest part. I think one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. And, you know, I love my mom. This is going to be a little emotional, but she's my biggest role model and someone that I really look up to seeing her work so hard to raise me. She didn't have a lot of money growing up. She didn't go to college. I always wanted to just do my part and whatever I could to make her proud. And, you know, up until that point, I did everything in my life that was in line with that, you know, being valedictorian, going to Yale, being on track to becoming a doctor was like, check, check, check. So being gay and coming out, I, I knew would be just letting her down and kind of like, rocking her world and and disappointing her. So for most of my life, I I really thought that I would just hide this part of me from her and not make her sad. I just wanted her to be happy more so than I wanted myself to be happy. So when I first told her, it was over the phone and you know, my mom, she's super outgoing, extroverted person. And I remember when I came out to her, there was just silence. Is the kind of there's a kind of like somber, uncomfortable silence that kind of just like sinks to the bottom of your stomach, you know, after yeah. it felt like years of silence, but really probably was just like five seconds. But <laughs> she then said very calmly that, you know, she always had a feeling that I was gay, but never wanted to acknowledge it. It's kind of like, if you don't say it, it's not true. Yeah. Like, don't ask, don't tell type of mentality. And, you know, I think what hurt, what made me feel the most sad was, you know, she asked if it was something that she did or because, you know, I never had 
any good male role models in my life. And somehow that was like her fault, which obviously is not. And, you know, I just felt really sad to know that she felt responsible in any way for me being gay. Like one, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, there's nothing. She was like, you know, I I love my mom. She was such a great mom. She did everything right to raise me. There's nothing that, you know, would have changed that and nothing that she did wrong to make me gay or anything. And I think we had a very honest conversation. It was probably one of the most honest conversations I've had with my mom. We don't really share our feelings or emotions with one another that often. But since, you know, it's been almost five years since coming out to her. And while she's not openly like talking about or bragging about me being (laughs) gay or talking about my relationship with my partner with everyone else, I think there's this like silence, acknowledgement and acceptance and you know, in Chinese culture, that's sometimes, you know, also the best that you can get. And Mm -hmm. she's definitely come around a lot since then. And she's more open to talking about my relationship with my partner and me. You know, it's kind of like a slow transition from just calling my partner my friend, you know, like, (laughs) you know, all the time to now like saying her name and, you know, and, and inviting her to come back on holiday. So that is kind of like her subtle way of showing acceptance to me. And yeah. I think for the rest of my family, I'm not super close with everyone in my family. And I also live in another state. So the ones that I am close to and who are important in my life, you know, I have come out to. But I also know that, you know, if I came out to everyone in my entire family, my extended family, a a lot of the burden would actually be placed on my mom. And I I just also part of me doesn't want that, you know, she has to interact with them daily, whereas Mm -hmm. I can remove myself from that. And she can't. And so I think there's this great Netflix documentary called All in My Family that I yeah. just watched it. Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. I would love to talk about it with you. Um, yeah. It's about an Asian man coming out to his family. It's super raw, super emotional. I highly recommend it. At the end of the documentary, I think he says something like that really hit home to me. It's just when you're young, you know, you think that the truth is more important than anything else. And as you get older, you realize that while living your truth is very important, there are also other things that are important to consider, like other people's feelings as and as long as you don't have to live in a lie and you're not being denied to live the way you want, you know, sometimes I think for me it's less important to come out to every single person in my family than it is to like preserve, you know, my mom's feelings and while still being able to live my own life, mm-hmm. you know, elsewhere. So I think that kind of just was a great way to summarize like what I feel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You almost made me cry like in the middle of it <laughs> no. because it's, it, it is such a touching like bittersweet kind of story. Yeah. You know, same thing for the documentary. And like, I think it kind of just ties back to the whole being Asian American, right? Having that dual identity of relating to both the Asian Mm -hmm. culture and the American culture. And I think sometimes when we grow up, especially with these two extreme like mentalities of individualism and, you know, community driven, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we, I'm only speaking for on my behalf. (laughs) I think in an ideal world, it would be nice to just like choose the American version of life or choose like the Chinese version of life. Yeah. You know, and so I think it would be nice to aim for 
a future where your parents always happily accept any partner that you have. Because <laughs>、yeah. like even for myself, the last guy that I dated, or you know, my last、mm-hmm. boyfriend, we had been together for over five years, and I can't tell you. How long it took my dad to like <laughs> finally just like accept that his adult daughter was just dating people, <laughs> like calling someone her boyfriend. Like, what、yeah. is this? And so, like, ideally, I think I would have wished that my dad would have been happy to just call him my boyfriend. It just took time, and like, it still wasn't very comfortable. But maybe that's the middle ground where you know the both of us can meet. And I think. Maybe Asian American people, like especially for our generation,、yeah. have those moments where you know meeting the middle ground might be just the best thing to happen. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think it's very common to have to like meet in the middle and like compromise, and but I think it, that's also like there's beauty in that too. You、mm-hmm. know, I think it would be very selfish of me just to do everything I want and not consider you know my family and my mom's emotions, but at the same time. It would totally suck if they, you know, didn't acknowledge who I was in、right. my life. So, yeah, it's kind of like living in that gray area. <laughs> But that—that's kind of just life. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think it just also makes you appreciate. I would imagine, like you know, the friends that have been very accepting and supportive of your journey. And you know, just being able to like have the chosen family、mm-hmm. is also it. It just reminds you like how much it's so nice to have your chosen family too. Yeah,、mm-hmm. definitely. Oh boy, lots of emotions here. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the next question I had was, you know, from your own personal experience, do you have any opinions or thoughts on like what the most pressing LGBTQ issues are, is like specifically within the Asian American community? Yeah, I think too. I would say visibility and communication. So, visibility. I think there's already a lack of Asian American representation in media and film. And you know, when you just add another layer of LGBTQ on top of that,、right. it means there's even a smaller representation of us out there. I remember when I was in high school, growing up, and watching this Asian LGBTQ movie called Saving Face. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but so. it's one of my all-time favorite LGBTQ movies, and it just meant so much to me that this movie existed because it hit home for me in so many ways. I was in high school, you know, I was dealing with all these emotions, being gay, not coming out to anyone, and here this was a movie that. I hardcore like Google search, like search everywhere, and found on the internet somehow. And it was also written by and played by Asian American actors. And this movie was made in 2004, and since then, not to mention before 2004, there just aren't many other movies out there that are so thoughtful, well written, and speak to the Asian American LGBTQ experience. So. I think really visibility is huge for me. I think a lot of people even. A lot of young folks out there who are still in the closet and haven't come out yet, finding these like films, these like sources, and other people who they can see who look like them and like speaking to them and understand their story is so important.、It、just makes you feel normal, you know. That's there are others out there who can relate to you, and I think we just don't have enough of that. 
and communication, I think, is another issue. I think in Asian culture, it's very common to suppress or like hide your feelings and emotions, yeah. especially hiding anything that's shameful within the family rather than talk about it openly. You know, like, let's not talk about this. Let's just sweep it under the rug. How's your day going? Or like, exactly. what do you want to eat now? Right? Let's not talk about this awkward thing. Let's just, <laughs> let's just talk about just food. Eat more, just eat more. <laughs> yeah, just eat more. Just eat more. Uh, change the topic. <laughs> do you want another bowl of rice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I can't even imagine watching, you know, for example, saving face with my mom and like having conversation with it out in the open. But right. I think it's important to be able to do that. And it's, it's really hard to change the dialogue and to improve acceptance of LGBTQ issues if we can't communicate openly about it with our parents, our family, and our friends. I don't think these issues are solved overnight. Mm -hmm. But I think the more visibility we have, the more we're talking about this openly, like even having a conversation today with you about it, hopefully, you know, others are doing the same, that slowly will help change the conversation and like, you know, hopefully improve, improve things moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those two things that you pointed out are definitely something that are very specific to yeah, the Asian American kind of upbringing too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think if you identify as being part of like the LGBTQ community, then definitely, you know, it's, it's even more impacted, right? Yeah, definitely. And and like we all know, it took so long just to have a movie like Crazy Rich Asians, you know, come know. into the mainstream. Uh, <laughs> but that's definitely helped so much with our visibility. And I hope we can keep doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's been amazing, like kind of sidetracking to the whole like, you know, Crazy Rich Asians and like why it took so long and like <laughs> why it's been so good now. I for me personally, I thought the movie was like, fine. It wasn't my mm -hmm. most favorite movie. But I think <laughs> it was so important because I've now been seeing so many other like initiatives to have Asian voices in media, whether mm -hmm. it's through a bunch of new podcasts now yeah. or, you know, small movies and shorts or writing. Uh, I know there's that like super popular Facebook group called Asian Creative Network. And that's been amazing to follow because like every day there's always someone, mm. you know, reaching out, wanting to bring in more Asian voices to like more mainstream projects. Yeah. So I think it, it's been a really good like starting off point for hopefully more diversity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think it's been so great that even, you know, like Pixar had that short movie, Bao. Yeah. It was yeah. like Asian inspired. And that's just amazing to see that on the mainstream. I think you know, as more of these initiatives take place and it becomes more mainstream, I think there will be a much, you know, bigger acceptance towards Asian American culture, Asian Americans who are LGBT. It just occurred to me, I forgot what the name of the new, or not the new, but the upcoming Aquafina movie. I know she was in Ocean's 8. Yeah. Uh, they had that little... The Farewell. Bit. Oh, oh my gosh, I have not seen this trailer. Okay. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you you need to watch that cuz so I was I was like thinking kind of continuing on from like our last point in the conversation. I think it's been really cool that a film studio like A24 has really been investing in stories that aren't told by bigger Hollywood production. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I feel like A24 has been doing a really good job with that and so The Farewell 
that's a new movie that they've been producing with Aquafina as the lead. And it's very much specifically like she is an Asian American woman who goes back to China because her she finds out from her parents and like the rest of the family that her grandma is dying, I guess because of cancer, mm. but no one's told the grandma that she has cancer. Mm. And they feel like the best way to deal with it is just to not tell her. <laughs> and to just like throw a wedding and just like be happy. <laughs> but it it definitely looks like it really conflicts with Aquafina's like own personal values of like, but then we're mm. living a lie and you know, yeah. is it fair and all these things. So it looks so good and I can't wait till it comes yeah. out. Oh my gosh, I can't wait too. Yeah. And that just sounds so relatable to mm-hmm. Asian culture, just you know, not talking about it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <to> move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just so important to have those kinds of stories because, like, you know, I think when people think of Asian movies, they probably think, like, Kung Fu or Jackie yeah. Chan or just, like, <laughs> okay, but, like, not all of us do that. So, yeah. And also not all of us are Chinese, right? So, like, Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of diversity to explore. It's a good moment. It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. The next question I had... <laughs> For yourself or, you know, for your own opinions, what do you think's been the biggest blessing since coming out? I think just being able to live my life openly with my partner and not having to lie or make any excuses about my life anymore. I think growing up, I was so used to just, I'm too busy with work or school to be dating anyone and just always coming up with lies or excuses as to why I'm not dating a guy. And mm-hmm. now just being able to bring home my partner for the holidays and not have to say she's just a friend, but you know, that we're dating and in a relationship together is just is just so nice to have. And I think that's definitely been one of the biggest blessings since coming out is just you're you're no longer have to hide that part of your life for yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's really beautiful. And I'm so glad that you're at a point in your own personal life where you can feel, you know, that sense of freedom, right? Especially with your partner. Yeah. Yeah. I know we've talked a lot about your personal life. So (laughs) (laughs) kind of, you know, if you want to take a breather, a little break, we can definitely move into your professional life because I think that's definitely also been a very fascinating like story that I've heard from you. Mm -hmm. Especially interesting to me that you went to Yale to pursue pre-med and then decided not to follow through with med school afterwards. What motivated you to come to that decision? I think, you know, I realize this might not be true of every Asian family, so I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think there's a very defined idea of success in Asian families and it's very limiting. It's either be a lawyer or a doctor and these are the most respectable and stable professions that make a lot of money. So I always felt like growing up, I had to be one of those in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. I also didn't know any other path to success other than that. And it happened so that I was better at science and loved biology. (laughs) So I just chose pre-med, could have gone the other way. But I never really reflected on what I wanted in life and what would truly make me happy. And it wasn't until college that I even realized there were so many other possibilities and career paths out there. And traveling, living abroad, meeting diverse people, Mm -hmm. all of these helped expand my horizons. And I think once that happened, you know, I realized like, I didn't want to spend the next 10 years going to med school, doing residency, only to end up doing something that 
I won't even be happy with Mm -hmm. and was something that was more of my naive conception of success growing up. You know, and definitely for many people, medicine is their passion and it's their born to do it and they want to make a huge impact through that. And that's amazing. I have lots of friends who are going to be doctors, but I think for me, it was just always that I just had a very, very, you know, defined, limited idea of success. And I didn't know anything else until college opened up my eyes and now realizing that you know, I decided, well, better, better make the decision to not go to med school now <laughs> than go and be stuck or exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I also feel very similarly towards like redefining what success looks like, just because for myself, like, it's so interesting. I'm coming at a stage of my life that I'm turning 30 this year and realizing that I just want to spend more time with my family and my friends in a way that's like not just hanging out or just watching mm-hmm. TV, but like traveling with them or mm. exploring new places. And so mm. it's been interesting because I've now come to this slow acceptance of like what success means to me nowadays is having the flexibility to spend time with them in a way that's like more memorable and more impactful. Mm. Yeah. And I think I used to be very certain that success was lots of money and cars and houses and mansions <laughs> and like big yeah. tech jobs, you know, all, all those things. And it's like, yeah. certainly not the case. So yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I totally resonate with that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Was it difficult for your family to hear that you weren't going to follow through with med school afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I think for my mom, you know, she thought this was a phase similar to how my sexuality must be a phase (laughs) that I would just kind of get over once I'm older, I'd come around to it. And then I would go into med school. But you know, it's been quite some time now. So she's come around (laughs) to the fact that at this point, I'm I'm just not going to be a doctor anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also harder for Asian parents to even understand professions outside of, you know, the typical doctor, lawyer, accountant, Mm -hmm. like, like, what do you do at a startup? What is a startup? (laughs) You know, is not nonprofit just volunteering? So wait, what is your real job? Are you volunteering? And so I think for her, even if I explain to her, like the other jobs that I had after college, she never really understood. She's like, okay, well, <laughs> I don't quite understand what you're doing. But maybe this is just a phase and you're gonna, you know, come back afterwards. But now that I've started my own company, she's, you know, she's really proud of that, but also worried now at the same time yeah. that you know, there's no stable income, it's risky, anything right. can happen. You know, at the end of the day, I think like most parents, though, you know, she just wants me to be happy. And as long as she sees me happy with my life, then then that's good for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so funny, because I feel like I definitely have the same experiences with my parents. I think especially since I've jumped around in like the corporate world doing accounting Mm -hmm. and doing marketing and doing analytics. And now that I'm temping at a nonprofit and I'm thinking like, oh, I really want to explore nonprofits. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think they're like, cool. Okay. But we have like many questions. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) I totally understand that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's also really super cool about you is that you've not only traveled, but you've really truly lived around the world. 
you've lived in Brazil, you've lived in Vietnam, South Africa, and China, and you've also worked at nonprofits such as Teach for America and Girls Who Code. So now you've co-founded a fashion company called East Meets Dress, where you make wedding chi pows and cheng psalms for the modern generation. So like what motivated you to just like go into fashion? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a method to my madness. I've always been a very curious person and I've always really enjoyed learning new things, gaining new experiences. And I think, you know, everyone should travel and live abroad at some point in their lives because it just opens up your eye to so many things and just makes you a more well-rounded and knowledgeable person. So when I joined TFA and Girls Who Code, I really wanted to make an impact on the world. And it was a very rewarding experience for me because I felt very close to the mission Afterwards, you know, I wanted to be more involved in tech, given that I was living in the Bay Area, there's just so much tech around me. And I also wanted to learn more about what it took to build a startup and a company from scratch. So I joined a very early stage startup, actually. And I learned so much through that experience, just about being scrappy and resourceful, building a product that your customers love. And I wanted to tie, you know, all of these experiences together. So wanting to make an impact and do something that was passion driven, but also wanting to build something from scratch and start my own thing. All of these experiences combined and led me to starting East Meets Dress with my best friend. So we've always wanted to tie something back to our cultural heritage in some way. And, you know, building a company that not only I can call my own, but also helps me make an impact on Asian American culture and also help other women and Asian Americans like myself was like the best of both worlds for me. It's been a very fun, exciting journey. Also, you know, starting your own company is very tiring. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's kind of like a whirlwind of emotions, you know, ups and downs. But yeah, it, I'm so glad, you know, to have done this and to be on this part of my path at this time in my life. Yeah. It's so cool. I This is such a weird, complete, random sidetrack. But I was talking to one of my coworkers yesterday, yesterday, <laughs> where we were talking about photo shoots. And because she, she had gone back to China a number of times and done kind of the professional photo shoots, you know, where they stage everything, you get to wear yeah. pretty dresses and all that. And yeah. she really convinced me. She was like, you should probably do a photo shoot for your 30th birthday just because... Oh. Like, like, cause it's, you know, yeah. like a new decade of your life, a new chapter. And like, you never really get the opportunity to do that unless it's like graduation or school portraits or weddings. Right. <laughs> and there's, the, there's yeah. like no in between unless you like make it your own that's initiative. True. And so yeah, I was actually true. thinking about, well, one of the ideas was like just a regular photo shoot, like n- nothing crazy fancy or anything. But the other idea I had was to kind of dress up in traditional turn psalms like even though i'm not oh getting married yeah, yeah yeah oh my um, gosh yeah oh no, yes <laughs> do it i would love we just launched a new collection actually but yes let's let's make this happen oh. i would love <laughs> oh my god yeah gosh. i would love to have you wear a chung for your 30th oh and <laughs> do oh, your that's photo so shoot. Exciting. oh my gosh thank you yeah i that's what i was leaning towards i was like i need i need to get something from your company because like it, i love i love the mission that you guys have where it's like chung psalms and chief house but just you know different ish <laughs> yeah yeah definitely oh yeah. my gosh that's so awesome oh that's exciting oh my gosh okay we'll definitely follow up after <laughs> <this>. <laughs> yeah do yeah. you have so are you planning crazy travel plans as well for your 30th you know honestly not really 
I kind of want to just keep it chill, keep it a little bit local. Yeah, not really. I think yeah, because I have definitely. my eyes set on bigger traveling plans next year. Mm. And I traveled a bunch last year and spent quite a bit of money on that. So I kind of want this year to just be quieter, you know, save up a yeah. little bit, you know, for my little nest and then <laughs> go out yeah. into the world again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we're kind of winding things up for this episode. So the last question I really had was, do you have any piece of advice for those who are looking to live an unconventional life, either professionally or personally? Yeah, definitely. You know, I would say that the path to success isn't straightforward. It almost never is. My own path included a bunch of twists and turns. So don't be afraid to create your own path. And if you're not out there building your own dream that you're just busy building someone else's. And, you know, I really think that if you have a dream or a vision, just do it and go out there. There might not be a blueprint for you to follow, but you will just have to create your own. And that's kind of been a lot of what I've done in my own life too, is just putting one and two together and seeing where one opportunity takes me and going with another opportunity if it presents itself. And you really, you know, for those out there who are thinking about starting your own company or doing your own thing, you really don't need to have all the answers before you start. I think there's this misconception that you need to have a lot of money to start your own thing. You need to have everything figured out, the perfect solution, the perfect product, but really you build as you go. So I would say, you know, focus on figuring out if there's like a need first and then work to fill it and everything can be learned. It matters more so that you're persistent and willing to work hard and not afraid to take risks and fail than it is to be, you know, like an expert in that industry. I think both my co-founder and I, we were by no means experts in the wedding industry <laughs> or the Chongsum industry. I think, you know, we had a passion, a vision, we had our own struggles and experiences going through finding a modern chungsum and really just took it from there, you know, one step at a time and bootstrapped our own company ourselves. Didn't need a lot. We took $40 over a weekend, built a website on Shopify and ran a Facebook ad on a basic landing page. Wow. And that's how we really got started. So yeah, definitely create your own path and don't be afraid to take a risk. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Vivian. Music was produced by Paulina Vo. You can follow her on Instagram at Vobot, spelled V-O-B-O-T, or on SoundCloud at Paulina Vo. See you in the next episode. <laughs>